You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. At the 10-yard line, second and eight. Three wide receivers now in motion as Bumpus left to right. Julius Jones with single setback. Matt Pump fakes, looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus, and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Powered by Seahawks.com. What up, folks? This is Michael Bumpus along with Nasa Choby, and this is the Hawk Talk preview. Regular season open. It's getting real. We're playing football this week, Nas. Let's go. This is real life, man. I mean, through this pandemic and everything that we're going through, I am so excited to be talking about a real game on Sunday. We're not talking no mock games. We're not talking no practice, no, you know, contact integration period. We are talking (laughs) football, real NFL football, man. Let's go. Real NFL football. I'm amped up. You're amped up. So let's talk. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks, how they look in 2020 and who they kept. So they retained Jaron Reed, Jordan Simmons, Nico Thorpe, who is still a captain on the special teams unit, which I thought was dope. Mike Upati, Luke Wilson, David Moore, Jacob Hollister, and then the man, Flash himself, Josh Gordon, has been re-signed. What are your thoughts on the guys that they retained? Do they take them to the next level? Uh, what, what, what do you see in this group? Well, it's been big, man. I mean, we'll start with the first guy you mentioned and Jaron Reed. Like, you know, in 2018, he had 10 sacks, had the best season of his career, um, a guy that's been doing it and been a big part of this locker room and his team. So I'm really excited about him. And last year, obviously, he didn't start the season. He came in after six games. So I'm looking for him to come back to that 20, or 2018 form and just kind of perform, really help bring the pressure from the inside. And uh, I'm looking for him to have a really big – Breakout year. Um, you know what you're getting from the other guys, man. Nico Thorpe is the life in this locker room. The man gets after on special teams, good depth in the secondary. Uh, Mike Upati, he's an OG. We've seen what he's been OG. doing for years. He's still going to be good. Hope he stays healthy. And then Luke Luke Wilson, another guy that I'm super excited about just because, again, he's like Nico Thorpe, the energy he brings to this team. He knows the system. He's been here for so long. So he's definitely going to help a really talented tight end room and Jacob Hollister, and then Josh Gordon. Hopefully we'll get to see him soon. So I feel good about those guys, Bump. What about you? Yeah, I feel good about it. Jaron Reed, he needs to pop. He needs the ball this year. I mean, there's only three three deep at defensive tackle at that position. As of now, you assume they're going to add some guys to that spot as the season goes along or bring guys from practice squad, whatever. They're going to make moves there. But Jaron Reed needs to go. And he has a full off season, kind of a full off season. There's no OTAs or whatnot. But he's had a full camp. He's there. He's ready to go. The guy I was worried about out of that group, was Luke Wilson. I wasn't sure what they were going to do with Luke Wilson because you have Greg Olson, you got Jacob Allister, and don't forget Uncle Will. I wasn't sure if they're going to carry four tight ends. They're carrying four. That's nice to see. If they didn't carry four, I'm sure they would try to get Luke on the practice squad. And David Moore, David Moore, man, he's been one of the most consistent receivers during this camp and one of the least talked about at the same time because you have DK, you have Lockett, then you bring in Philip Dorsett, and you're just thinking – your, your focus is on those guys. And Demo has been consistent. He's been humble. He's been quiet. He's been going out and making plays. So I'm happy to see that dude get another opportunity. I think he can get it done. So I like the group. So now let's switch over to the guys that they added. I'm going to save the best for last, okay? We're going to talk Carlos High coming off a 1,000-yard season. Greg Olson, triple OG. B.J. Finney, who was supposed to battle for that center spot. Cedric Obwehi, they got from the Jags. Brandon Shell, who's holding down that tackle spot. Quentin Dunbar, who we were kind of suspect, is he going to be here or not? And then Philip Dorsett, last but not least, the guy who's made the biggest impact on this defense so far this year, Jamal Adams. What are your thoughts, man? 
Well, when you talk about that group of guys, honestly, Jamal Adams, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that man immediately brings us to probably the best secondary, if not one of the best in the NFL. I mean, straight up. Yep. Watching this guy up close at practice, I mean, he just, first of all, the juice he brings is unreal. It's unparalleled, man. It's <laughs> it's some stuff I feel like we haven't seen around here outside of guys like Bobby Wagner on that defensive side. And what we're going to be able to have him do, I mean, we don't really know. We're probably going to see it all, whether yep. it's in pass rush, whether it's, you know, in the box, whether it's making plays in the back end as a deep safety. So Jamal Adams is someone that I think you pair him with Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers slash Quentin Dunbar, Quandre Diggs, who they both already have a great relationship. I mean, honestly, top to bottom, I think that makes us one of the best secondaries in the league. And then you talked about a couple other guys, uh, Greg Olson. You know what you're going to get with Greg, man. Greg is a true professional on and off the field. Um, he's been battled some injuries the last couple of years, but if he can stay healthy like he's done so far in camp, he's going to really bolster that room. And then you bring in a guy like Brandon Shell, who has been holding it down. He's, he's came in here and he essentially took that starting job and he's going to ride with it. So like, I, I love the guys they added. I think it really is a huge improvement from last season. Yeah, I agree. Jamal Adams is going to change the game in the back end. I forgot to mention Ben Mayo and Bruce Irvin. That's what 12, 13 sacks right there. You mm-hmm. talk about this team had 28 sacks last year, the bottom of the barrel, along with the Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit lions. Got to get up out of here. Got to get about out, out the mm-hmm. bottom of the league. Ben Mayo and Bruce Irvin should be the guys to do that. You talk about Bruce Irvin. Oh, he's old. He's, he's this, he's that. He's coming off his best year as a professional. Now, you talk about Ben Tameoa. Oh, we don't know what he can do. He had seven and a half sacks as a rotational guy for the Raiders. So they didn't sign the big names that the 12s were looking for, but they did get better on the defense, on that defensive line. Well, especially, too, with uh, with Bruce Irvin, he's a, he's kind of a jack of all trades. He can we have him listed at Sam, so he can do that in the linebacking stuff, and he's going to be a big part of the pass rush. He's been in the system. He's been around Pete. He's been around the guys. So I think those guys, and it's all kind of by committee, right? Because if you look at that defensive line, I would look for LJ Collier to step up big this year, right? I yeah. would look for Rasheem Green to take another step. Puna Ford, who's shown some flashes. So I think it's going to be by committee. We kind of get all hung up on the numbers. Is so-and-so going to get 10? Is so-and-so going to get 12? Where are those big-time numbers going to come from since we lost, like, Frank Clark? But I think they're going to get it done by committee. And we already talked about the secondary a little bit. I think having a stronger secondary is going to help that whole unit. Yep, I agree. And here's a perfect example about why a village, the village approach works. Name one guy on the Panthers' defensive line. Um, well, Julius Peppers nope. ain't playing there no more, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the last one I can remember. No disrespect to the Panthers, but they had over 50 sacks and nobody knows who's on their D-line. So yeah. that's the approach that these Seahawks have to take. No one knows this. It's all good. But by week eight, nine, make some noise and have them talking about you. All right. So now let's talk about the key departures. Justin Britt is out of here. Um, they cut him after his injury, but he was lingering around. He was living in Bellevue. He was working out. People thought that he might show up again. George Stan is gone. Jermaine Fetty. Bradley McDougal was involved with the trade for Jamal Adams. Quentin Jefferson is gone. And sorry to see him go, but I'm just glad that it's over because I was tired of hearing about it. Uh, Jadavion Clowney. Uh, out of those guys, obviously we're going to miss Clowney the most just because of the things that he did that people didn't really recognize because it didn't show up on a stat sheet. Um, who else are you going to miss out of that group? Well, I mean, all those were good locker room dudes for sure. I think um, I'm going to miss out of that group. I miss Justin Britt and George Fant. I think Justin Britt 
when he first came to the Seahawks, he was playing tackle, and then he moved to guard. But he really kind of found himself at, at center, and he kind of stepped up when the young offensive line kind of needed a leader. Now you got Dwayne Brown in there. Now you got Upati. You got some other veterans. But I just kind of like the way he carried himself, and he turned himself into a Pro Bowl-type player. And then George Fant, man, I'm going to miss hearing – Number 74 is eligible. Number 74 is eligible. I'm going to miss hearing that, man. Uh, he just did so much good stuff for us, and I loved having that package that we had with him where he'd come in as an extra tight end on that stuff. So those are two guys I'm going to miss for sure. But like I said, I think now with the offensive line that we got and the guys we got in place, I feel yeah, kind of yeah. good about how we're doing. Out of those guys, I'm going to miss McDougal the most. I just There was like a calming presence about McDougal in the back. He wasn't going to light you up, but he was going to make the tackle. He wasn't going to cause a lot of turnovers, but he was going to be around the ball. He was like one of those constants on that back end that kind of gets lost in the mix because he's not going to wow you with a super athletic player or anything like that. But he was one of the most veteran back there, one of the most confident, and just a calming presence. So I'm going to miss that dude, McDougal. So season preview, all right, what can we expect from the Hawks in 2020? This is what I expect, and I'll let you dive into it. I expect this offense to take another level because Russell's going to take another level. He's mm. never got an MVP vote. Um, he's never finished the season with a 70, 70% completion rate or better. So I think he's chasing something. He always finds something to chase, right? So I think he knows that. And I think he is going to chase that. And because he's chasing that, this team is going to get better offensively amongst a bunch of other things. I think about the Seahawks in 2020. What are your thoughts? Well, I am right there with you, man. I think I think if any year, this is the year Russell Wilson can get that MVP, man. I mean, through about 10 games last year, he was the clear candidate. And then it's hard to account for Lamar Jackson having the unbelievable season he had last year. So I can't take anything away from that, man. But our guy, Russ, we know what number three can do. So I'm right there with you. I think for me, our offense was the strength of the team last year, right? We had a great running game. Yep. Obviously, number three was amazing last year. Our, I think our defense returns to the level that we're accustomed of seeing it, right? So I'm not saying legendary 2013, you know, LOB Super Bowl champion per se, but I'm mm-hmm. saying they have the guys now that can get there. We mentioned a little bit ago, the secondary being built from the back forward, man, between our safeties. To, that tandem is the best in the league. Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams. Then you got you got some lockdown cores on the outside. Jaquiel Griffin is going to take another step. He, I look for him to be more of a – he's going to be a Pro Bowl guy this year, just straight up. Then Trey Flowers and Quentin Dunbar. Then you go to linebacking core. We know what we got from Bobby and KJ. And then young guys stepping up front. So I think this defense is going to get to a level. They're going to climb back inside the top 10 in all those defensive categories. Back inside the top 10, that would be awesome. When you have an offense that at some point, one point of the season was a top five offense. If you can get a defense that, that's top 10 as well, that would be awesome. They were 28th last year. So mm-hmm. they got a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of room to make up. But I think they can do it. All right. Where did the Seahawks improve the most from last year? The most, um, I mean, I'll just, I mean, I feel like I keep beating the drum, but it's, it's defensively, yeah. it's in, it's in the secondary, yeah. man. I think they're just going to cause havoc in there. The thing that made the Seahawks really good from 2012 to 2016 was their ability to take the ball away, and I think that's coming back. Yep. If that's where they improved the most, I would say second behind that would be that offensive line. People are excited in this organization about this offensive line. On the left side, you got Brown, you got Upati, Postic has won the center spot. You got Damian Lewis as a rookie who's in there turning heads. You hear um, Dwayne Brown talk about how he's, he's smart. You can tell he's studied. And then you bring in Shell at that tackle spot. Shell is not uh, 
the sexy name where everyone was like, oh, he's so much better than Fetty. But let me remind people that he had half the penalties that Fetty had. And Fetty played every game. He was reliable. He was there. But every now and then you scratch your head and be like, all right, what was he thinking? You got to control that, that aggression and put it somewhere. So, uh, yeah, I would say that offensive line comes after that. So it was different during training camp this year. Um, we weren't able to be there the way we wanted to. Guys like you who has that uh, tier three um, tier accessibility. Tier two. Tier two. Tier two. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> tier, tier two. Uh, you got a little more access than us. But explain to, to us how, how was this camp different than other years? Well, obviously, the, the number one thing is not seeing the 12s out on the burn, man. I mean, Seahawks training camp is a different experience than anywhere else in the country. You're right there on Lake Washington. It's beautiful. The sun's still out. You got about 3,000 fans on that berm screaming, yelling, waiting for autographs, DJ Super Sam, all that stuff. So that was definitely the biggest thing for me. You notice right away, which is kind of a different vibe. Yeah. And then just all the protocols and stuff that the players had to do, man. They had to. They got to wear contact tracing chips. They got to, they had to change how they lifted. They had to change how they did all this stuff. They had to change how they met in meetings and stuff like that. But they did all the right things. And as, as Pete always talks about, you competed everything. They competed in how the best they're going to handle this pandemic. So it was a weird time. And then, and then obviously the last thing was no preseason games, bump. Yep. And you can speak to this, yeah. man. It's, it's, it's so difficult for the coaching staff and the players. But could, I mean, where would you have been if there was no preseason? If there's no preseason, Nass, I'm not here talking to you right now. Honestly. <laughs> I, I don't make this football team. You know, uh, you asked me as a 34-year-old man, a guy who could be real with himself, like, okay, like, you were good, but you weren't, like, superstar good. And if you didn't have that preseason, you wouldn't even have a chance to show that you can catch punts or that you can go right. across the middle and catch the football. So it's tough on those rookies. That's why no undrafted free agents were signed because they just don't know what they can do. Are they going to roll the dice? on these guys and that right there just shows how hard the evaluation process was on these guys because guarantee you they missed on somebody and guarantee you um, other organizations missed on guys because they're scared to roll the dice on something they haven't seen in live play so yeah that was rough on those rookies I feel for them uh, those those veterans who are on the bubble are loving it I'm sure though they're loving it. Like, hey man I don't have this 24 year old trying to take my spot because I got three four years of film so yes definitely tough um, well, any camp surprises? Anybody jump out and say, okay, I wasn't expecting him to ball out, but here he is, and now I know his name, and I'm going to follow his dude. We, we kind of talked about this earlier in camp, and it, it's Penny Hart, man. Um, he was a surprise. He wasn't initially part of the original 53. The hey, let me tell the people, you called it. Nass and Shelby called it. I say, Nass, this is like beginning of camp. I go, Nass, anybody I should be looking after. He said, you know what, Bump? Penny Hart's out there doing his thing. So you were right continue sir i appreciate that i appreciate the little, little love love right there you know what i mean <laughs> but no penny hart man like he he's a smaller guy he uh he's just a guy that just makes plays i mean and that's the thing i think what you when you look at the pro personnel and john schneider and pete carroll if you compete and you show what you can do and you're given that chance you're gonna get a spot and he did it every single day it didn't matter if it was a team period it didn't matter if they're going against the ones it didn't matter if they're going against the twos it didn't matter any situation penny was out there he was making plays and i look for him to be a guy you know that just finds his way to help out the team because he's one of those guys he's a big team guy um he's someone that all 12 should keep an eye on my guy penny hart is going to be making plays so just keep him in the back of your mind this year Penny Hart, I would say not a surprise because he was drafted, but he was drafted late. Freddie Swain, that was my guy where I was like, look, you have to watch this dude. Now, he was hurt for a couple of days during camp, but um, you hear about how he can play any position, how um, he's a positive dude, 
all the things that Pete Carroll looks for. How can you contribute to the team now? He can contribute to special teams. He can play every position. And what's your attitude like? Freddie Swain was my guy. I wouldn't call it a surprise, but being a, what, sixth-round pick? Sixth-round pick. Yep. Um, uh, he, he exceeded expectations. So, offense outlook. Here, here's a question. Will we let Russ cook this year? Well, you know what, Naz? Dude's been cooking his whole life. All right? Mm-hmm. And this is Preach. why he's been – this is why he's been cooking, okay? First nine seasons of any quarterback in all the land that played in the NFL. When it comes to wins, Russell Wilson is fourth with 86 behind Tom Brady, Roethlisberger, and Manning. Now, he's only had eight seasons. He's got two more seasons to beat that. Something tells me he's going to pass him up this year right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing about Russ is he's just been Mr. Consistent from day one, man. And everyone wants to talk about what are we doing? Are we going to let him cook? Are we going to throw 50 times a game? Blah, blah, blah. The man has been cooking since he stepped foot in this building and on the football field since that third preseason game in 2012. The man has been cooking. Nah, but he's not. He's not throwing it 40, 50 times, though. He's not. He's, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't thrown over 36 touchdowns yet. I mean, I get people when they – the average football fan to be like, all right, they're not letting him do his thing. But he throws the most efficient deep ball in the game. Mm-hmm. He – over the, the, the first nine seasons of any quarterback's career, he is one to the fifth on the, on the list as far as touchdown passes. He's still got one season to go. Um, most games with four-plus touchdown passes and one fewer interceptions in the first nine seasons. He has 10. Peyton Manning has 13. So he has shown right now, if he were to retire or something were to happen, he would be on a Hall of Fame ballot, and he's been cooking since he's been here. Oh, for sure. And I think we get so twisted in some of those numbers because you're right. It's not, it's not 500 or it's not 5,000 yards in this. It's not 45 touchdowns. It's not some of these numbers, but you just got to look at all of it, all of it together. You look at his winning percentage. You look at what he does in the fourth quarter. You look at his come from behind wins, and he gets it done when it counts. And and let me tell you something. We're probably going to touch on this a little bit. Our receivers, Russ is going to continue to do him, but numbers mm-hmm. are going to be put up all across the board. So promise you, everybody, all the 12 listening, my boy has been cooking, and he's going to continue <laughs> to cook. Continue to cook. So let's talk about these skill players. Okay, he's got Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, both rushed for a thousand yards last year. You got DK and Lockett. DK nine hundred yards, Lockett over a thousand. That third receiver spot looks like it's going to be David Moore to start. Philip Dorsett's going to be in the mix. Uh, Greg Olson, you bring him in at that tight end spot. You're getting Will Disley back, who was one of the hottest tight ends in the league. He's played in 10, 10 games, I believe. He's yep, played 10 in. games. 10 he's games. got six touchdowns. 10 games, six touchdowns, super efficient. Is this the most skilled or the most talented skills he's had since he's been here? I, you know, I thought about that a lot and wrote that question down, and I, I'm leaning towards yes, just because I think DK Metcalf is going to have an unbelievable sophomore season. I mean, you watch him out at practice. The ball's in the air. He's coming down with it, point blank, period. Yeah. And I think you guys talked to him on Danny and Gallant um, on 710 ESPN. And when he was on there, you asked him, what'd you ask him? You asked him about being a receiver. And hey, hey, he put me in, he put me in my place. I go, <laughs> hey, hey, DK, hey, DK, you, you play outside. Can you get in that slide? The young man said, I'm a receiver. I said, thank you, sir. I appreciate your response. <laughs> I 
Have a great day. <laughs> no, and, and that's the right answer. So I think he's going to be a monster. We know what Tyler can do. Tyler put up over 1,000 yards last year, and if that man didn't get hurt, he was gonna. I think he was going to set the record for receiving yards in a season in Seahawks history. Then you talk about Chris Carson looking for his third 1,000-yard season. And obviously, so people will say, are you getting ahead of yourself? Okay, let's look back at 2013. Obviously, you had Marshawn Lynch. You had Golden Tate. You had Sidney Rice. You had Zach Miller. Uh, you had Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin. I'm not saying the group right now is for sure better than those guys because their banners are hanging in Central Link Field and here at the VMAC. Yep. But what I'm seeing on paper and what these guys can do, if we have, we could have 2,000-yard receivers, a 1,000-yard rusher. You, you talked about Will Disley, how good our running game is going to be. I don't know, man. I think it's definitely in the conversation to at least consider this being the most talented group of offensive players, Bump. As of now, they are definitely in the conversation. Whether, whether they stay there or they are the conversation, we shall see. That's why we play. That's why we play the game. That's mm-hmm. why we play the game. Play to win them. All right. Play to win. <laughs> so lots of movement on this offensive line. They gave up, what, 48 sacks or something last year. Russ has been the most sacked quarterback in the last two or three years. They made some moves. There are a couple of names that people aren't familiar with on that offensive line. Does that matter? Do you think they got better? I, I mean, I think I think they got a lot better. I think they got better depth-wise also. So they brought in, we brought in B.J. Finney uh, to compete for that center spot, and they definitely did, but – what was promising to me is what I saw is, and Pete talked about this, that Ethan won the job. It wasn't like yeah. Finney came in and lost it. Ethan won the job, and he's been in our system for three years. He talked about how he was getting over some – he had an injury, kind of like a hip thing that really helped with hurt his strength in some places when it came to pass pro and things like that. Well, he got surgery in the offseason. Yeah. He's healthy. Um, third year in the system, and being at center kind of helps that. And then – Damian Lewis, man, he came in and was in the starting lineup from the jump. So, like, I think we got dudes there. And then you just look at guys that are behind them. Jordan Simmons, when he played last year, was great. Jamarco Jones, when he came in last year, was great. Um, Cedric Oboihe is a physical dude, and he was on this team for a reason. So, like, I think we are I think we got better. Obviously, Dwayne Brown, I don't need to say anything about that man. He's the baddest man on the planet, with, hands down. Um, I just think we got better. I think our depth looks really good. What do you think, Bump? I'm with you. You got better. Depth is there. You still got guys like Phil Haynes who is banged up right now, but there's still uh, Jamarco Jones, Jordan Simmons. I mean, there, like you said, there's some names there that hopefully we don't see because if we don't see them, that means that this line is healthy and they're ready to go. But if something were to happen, they're good to go. All right. That's the offense. Defense outlook for the first time in several years. The secondary might be the strongest position group on the roster. How does that make you feel? Does does this make you feel like Shab's not going to throw for 400 yards against us week one? Because I, I I can't see that again now. No, I don't think I don't think you will ever, ever see any quarterback put up any of those kind of numbers ever again. That is on the <laughs> shelf. That is RIP. I've been beating this drum. Uh, I'm a DB at heart. Uh, so <laughs> it, no, it may, it warms my heart, man. Like just to, and just because they have that energy and that thump too. Everyone in secondary can hit. So like I think it's going to change what we're able to do as a defense, man, when we're bringing pressures and stuff like that, when you got guys can cover all across the board. So it makes me feel great, man. And the name we haven't mentioned, Marquise Blair. Mm. He stepped into that nickel spot. Honestly, I thought Ugo Amadi, it was his spot to lose. But from from start of camp, it's kind of been Marquise Blair's spot to lose, and he's held on to it, a spot he's never played before, never played nickel. He's a a true safety. Um, You hear his cover skills are good. He's flying around to the football. He looks like he's been there. 
adding him to that nickel spot will naturally allow this defense to be more dynamic because we know how much they stayed in that base last year. Mm -hmm. And Pete's not going to say it, but it was because they just didn't trust their personnel. I think Marquise Blair adds a dynamic to this defense as well. Well, yeah, I can't believe I didn't even mention that. No, that's a great point, Bump. I think Marquise in that spot definitely just changes us dynamically because you look at a guy that he was a safety, he'd come up there and hit you. I mean, do you remember that that preseason game last year playing the Broncos, throw a ball over the middle, and Marquise Blair, good night. I mean, the dude can – and he made plays last time. I think we were in Atlanta. He forced a fumble. He's just – he's a dynamic special dude, and I think our secondary with him is going to be phenomenal for sure. Yes, sir. Now, you mentioned you need Jaron Reed to look like 2018 Jaron Reed. If that's the case, you get 10 sacks. So now, me, I'm still calling LJ Collier a rookie. He's only got 150 snaps. Yes, this is his second year in the league, but he he got banged up during camp, like his third day at camp, missed a lot of stuff. So he was behind. Only 150 snaps. This dude needs to step up, and it sounds like his mind is in the right place. I'm listening to him talk, and – he just sounds confident. And, yes, he has to go out and prove it, but I at least want to feel confidence coming from a guy who was a first-round pick. What are your expectations for LJ? I think LJ's going to – first of all, I think people kind of forget how hard it was for him last year. I mean, it was like the third practice when he had a really bad ankle sprain and was down. And you miss your first NFL training camp. You don't play in training camp at all. You don't get in the preseason and do any of that stuff. For him to come on, you're just behind the eight ball from the jump. So I think having – you mentioned earlier, no OTAs, I get it, no minicamp, no preseason games. But the fact that he's been here and he came back in unbelievable shape, I'm looking for him to make a lot of headway this year. I'm looking for him to get be active inside and out, get some sacks. And then he's going to be a part of a rotation. I don't think they're going to ask him to play, you know, 90% of the, the snaps. I think it's going to be by committee, but I do look for him to have a breakout year in uh, year two. All right, Falcons preview. These guys were 7-9 and nine last year. They finished third place in the NFC South. The thing about the Falcons that kind of scare me, you look at that record, but these dudes were 6-2 and two their last eight games. Like, they got hot. They started 1-7, and seven, finished 6-2, and two, almost came back and beat the Hawks. Um, I think the Hawks were up 20-0, 20 24-0 at half. They came back, finished the game 27-24, something like that. But mm-hmm. they got hot late in the season. So I see the, the record and – I don't really pay attention to it. I, I look at what I've seen on film. These guys look dangerous. Key matchups. Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers, Quinn Dunbar versus Julio Jones. 99 receptions, 1,300 yards, six touchdowns. The guy can catch a screen. He can catch a go, a post, go across the middle. And I, I say this lightly. This is what I hope DK can be. I'm watching film on this dude, and they move kind of the same. I would say Julio's a little more flexible than, than DK, but – They'll do some things. I look at that stride. I look at the way they run across the middle. I'm like, man, are we looking at what, what DK can be? But Julio's a guy you got to pay attention to, right? Oh, without question. I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty a consensus, I think, across the league that Julio's the number one receiver. I think the next – I mean, I shouldn't take consensus. He's at least one or two, right? Yeah. Hopkins is maybe in there. But, like, he – yeah, we know what he can do. He's literally everything on their team. And I should have put this in the matchups as well. Not only Julio, but Cam uh, Calvin Ridley. He had 63 receptions, added 866 yards, and seven tuds. So those dudes, yeah. with Matt Ryan, that's that's what they're going to – if we're going to win this game, it's stopping those guys. It's our secondary matching up. And, hey, you don't get an easy slouch week one. You're going from the jump. Oh, no, you're going to get tested. This was the third number three passing team in the NFL last year. Uh, number five in total yards. So you're going to get tested early, especially throwing the football. Now, the other side of this thing – 
is their run game. Their run game was horrible last year. They're like the third to last in the NFL, average mm-hmm. about 85 yards a game. Devontae Freeman was there. They had to make a move. And what do they do? They go and get Todd Gurley, a guy who had an off year, probably has some knee issues. We're not quite clear on that. We think it was, but they're not really talking too much about it. 857 yards last year, 12 touchdowns. That, that surprised me. I didn't realize the dude had 12 touchdowns yeah. last year. It, it was sneaky. What about this guy is going to make this team special? Well, I mean, they didn't have, like you mentioned, they didn't have a run game last year. And in my opinion, Todd Gurley is still extremely talented and is still one of the premier running backs in this league. I mean, outside of uh, his rushing yards, he had 31 catches, 207 yards, two TDs in the pass game. And if you look at the Rams 2017 and 2018, what that man can do, I mean, he's scary when he gets the ball in his hands. He's scary in the open field. He's a matchup nightmare. You get him in the pass game in the red zone, it is tough. I think he is still elite. Like you mentioned, we don't really know about the knee. I think that played a role, a factor in his time with the Rams and why we didn't see him there. I don't really know, but if that man is healthy, he is a matchup. He's going to be a matchup nightmare. He's going to be hard on our linebackers. He's going to be hard on Bruce, KJ, Bobby, Brooks, Barton, whoever's out there. So if he if he's healthy, he is still one of the best backs in the league. Yeah, and no no disrespect to Devonta Freeman. I mean, he had a decent year, 600 yards rushing, 400 yards receiving, over 1,000 total yards, but he's not the back that this team needs because they are a play-action team. They're kind of like the Seahawks when you look at them. They love some play-action pass, and if you're not going to be able to run the ball in between the tackles and suck up those linebackers, the play-action pass gets that, that much tougher. Okay, so now, now you got to deal with Dante Fowler versus Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell. Dante this dude wasn't a pro bowler last year. Eleven and a half sacks, and he did not get to the Pro Bowl last year. Came yeah. from the L.A. Rams. Like, what is it, and what do you see in this guy? Well, he, I just see a motor, man. I just see a guy that does not stop, and he's he's good with his hands. He's quick. He comes after you. Comes hard off the edge. I mean, the guy had some forced fumbles. He six passes defended, so he's getting his arms up. He fifty eight tackles and what touchdown? Eleven sacks, bump. He didn't go to the Pro Bowl. No Pro Bowl. What I mean, that's heck? that's criminal. That's criminal. But no, I mean. <laughs> Uh, obviously, Dwayne Brown is, is is best as they come, and, and Brandon Shell stepping in position where he was incredibly consistent with the Jets last year. Doesn't get penalties. Uh, Pete and John and everyone loved what he did with the Jets, but that's going to be a big thing. It's a it's a dynamic pass rusher right there, one of the best in the league, and they're going to have their hands full from the jump. Yeah, that was the guy I was hoping the Hawks were looking at this offseason. I'm sure they, they did their research but just didn't pull the trigger. Another guy they need to watch out for is Grady Jarrett, seven and a half sacks, and he went to the Pro Bowl. So, uh you know, uh, numbers numbers are kind of skewed, I guess, when you look at the two. But he's yeah. a baller. He's a guy that um, needs to needs to be. Uh, they need to pay attention to this young man. I yeah, I think, and that's that's the thing you mentioned it earlier when we we're talking about the offensive line, and it's keeping Russell Wilson upright. He's been sacked too many times the last couple of years, and we just need to keep people off our potential. Hopefully, MVP quarterback, and it's going to start by checking the edges with Fowler. All right, another matchup, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and I want to say in the rest of the gang, in the rest of the gang because they're deep at that receiver spot, versus the kid out of Clemson, A.J. Terrell. Uh, this guy is a special type of DB. All's around the football. He plays with he plays with an SEC swag, but he's in the ACC. You know, mm-hmm. he's coached by, by Debo. Um, anybody coming out of Clemson in the first round, you got to pay attention to. And they're gonna, he's going to get tested early. Now, it's a matchup we got to pay attention to, but DK's been here. Lockett's been here. He's the new guy on the block, and I hope they go after him. you got to test him early, right? Oh, absolutely. And 
when you have a quarterback who throws, without question, the best deep ball in the NFL, I look for that early. I look for an early play action, get your feet wet, and attack him early. I mean, you're yeah. you're a rookie coming into your first game. There's no fans in the stands. It's just a weird kind <laughs> of environment. You're trying to figure it out. You haven't had any preseason. You've had a couple mock games. It's not the same thing. So, yeah, I'd look for Shoddy and those guys to test him early. Test them early and test them often. All right, so now the path to victory. What do these guys need to do to be successful in the ATL on Sunday? The first one is shake off the rust, right? It's been a long time since anyone has played a real football game. So you got to shake off the rust and you got to stimulate yourself because there is no crowd, right? There is, there is no one you can bounce energy off of. It, mm-hmm. It's you and your boys going to ATL to get a job done. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, it's, and I think that's, that's, a, that's number one is like, where do you bring your energy from? We know these are professionals. We know these are grown men. And if you're talking to Dave Wyman, he will tell you no one comes out flat. They're all professional, blah, blah, blah. You're all paid to do a job. But this is unprecedented, man. This is something that has never been done before. So it's about who can bring the energy from the jump and it's within, you know? You know, the atmosphere is kind of going to be like JV football on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yep. your boys are hyped, but it's just y'all. You know, you might have, you might have 15 people in the stands hearing every comment or anything that goes on, but this is JV football atmosphere with NFL dudes out there. So that's going to be interesting. Um, another path to victory is tackle. Other than the mod games, this is the first time they're going to be able to wrap dudes up and take them to the ground and not worry about their health or their well-being. They're going to be able to let loose. And because of that, there are going to be mistakes. I would expect to see missed tackles. I would expect to see uh, a little bit of sloppy play in the beginning. But at the end of the day, I think they'll hone back in and figure out how to do this football thing they've done their whole life. Yeah, and I think it's really helpful for the Seahawks especially that they don't really tackle that much in practice anyway to begin with. The way they do it, they they usually thud tempo. Um, They only really had one live portion of the second mock game where the starting defense was actually tackled on the ground. I'm not as worried about them. What I am concerned about is special teams bump. When yeah. you haven't had a live rep running down on kickoff, your assignment on kick return, the ones that really kind of scare you too are PAT and field goal and then punt. Ooh. Because those are big plays. You get a block kick, yeah. you get a punt, and that changes the game. So seeing how they come out on special teams, but I, I know Brian uh, Snyder is going to have those boys ready. Great point. They have not done live reps on special teams. I think the one that scares me the most, is kickoff returns because on the kick cover team, it's all about your lanes. Mm-hmm. Stay in your lanes. Stay in your lanes. You're gonna. That's like the biggest coaching point of all kick cover teams. Stay in your lane, and you're gonna have some rookies out there. You're gonna have some some bubble guys, guys who are who barely made the team. So they might not be as experienced, but you know what? That's why you do drills. Mm-hmm. That's why you show up every day. So hopefully it translates. Another path to victory contained Julio. Dude had ten catches, 154 yards. Last time these two got together, and, you know, I'm okay with 100, just not 154. I mean, Julio's going to eat, right? It's Julio. Like you said, he's number one and number two best receiver in the league. You got to contain him. Is containing him, what is containing him to you? What does that mean? I mean, containing him, he can't go off for 12, for 180, and two tuds or 200. I think he's going to, if he gets six, seven receptions, 89 yards, you know, and maybe it's just one big play, obviously you don't want to have any explosives, but you keep him under 100 or even right around 100, n- no more than one touchdown, I think you've done your job. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Julio. Let's just be real. I mean, it is it's what Julio. it is. He's going to get hit. 
Uh, another path to victory, let Jamal Adams be great. Use him all over the field, and I love that idea. The guy had, what, six and a half sacks last mm-hmm. year? Six yes, and a half sacks. Um, he's good in zone. He's good in the box. You just got this brand new piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. All right? Don't be shy. Don't be scared to get it dirty. It wants to get dirty. It wants to be used. Let the dog off the leash and let him eat. Let's go, man. I'm I'm so excited. That's my number one thing that I'm most looking forward to on Sunday is watching him run wild all over the field. And the best thing about Jamal Adams is there will be no confusion as to who made the play if it's him. I promise you, you will feel that in your living room. Promise you. So you're saying uh, he, he's going to let everybody know. He's going to let them know, Bump. I'm excited for it. I'm all here for it, dog. Let's go. Another pack of victory. Run the ball. Convert on third down. Now we all know they're going to run the ball, right? You got it. That's that's what that's what this team is built to do. At least initially, is to run the football, and you have to when you got Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, and let's not forget DJ. Have, I don't think we've mentioned DJ enough during this this whole deal. I don't think no. we mentioned them at all. No, but this this is a rookie who's getting reps with the ones who was a receiver at the University of Miami. So I expect him to be using the screen games and swings and all that stuff. You have to run the football because you got your two dogs back there and Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson. But you also have a DJ Dallas, who I feel like they're going to try to get at least one or two touches early. Yeah, you want to get the rookie, get his feet wet in the NFL and get going. And, and as Ray Roberts would always say, he tells us on the pregame say all the time, is you want to start running the ball because it gets the offensive line ready to go. You want to be the aggressor. You want to come out. You want to go hit somebody. You want Dwayne Brown to hit somebody. You want these guys to fire off and hit somebody. You start running the ball. It helps open up the play action, and then it helps us convert on third down for sure. All right, Twelves, you heard that. We must run the ball. <laughs> to open up the path, to let him cook. You don't just cook, right? You got to prep it. You got to cut your, your vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You got to marinate the meat. You don't just go out. Preheat the oven. Uh, last but not least, beat the team you're supposed to beat. They're supposed to beat these guys, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's the Seahawks are a team that I think has deep, deep playoff aspirations, if not the big game. So this is a game where you have to come out on the road and show the league and show everyone what you're about and start from week one. So they're supposed to win, even though they've only won one game on the road, home opener, under Pete Carroll. Time difference doesn't matter. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I got I to throw it at you. So one win on the road, under Pete, home opener, time difference. They were 7-1 on the road last year, but even with all that, no crowd, shelters are going to be different, protocols are different. There's, still, there's no doubt they're supposed to win this ball game. I said what I said, Bump. I said what I said. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I think I think they should be favored. I think for good reason. We're coming off. We're a playoff team. They were 7-9 last year. They got the tools. They got the talent. Our defense is so much improved. And, hey, we got number three, man. Let's get it done. Get her done. Get her done. Number three and them boys are going down to the ATL this Sunday. It is a 10 a.m. start. Make sure you wake up early. You get your lineup set up for fantasy. You get your favorite seat. And enjoy this because we almost didn't have this season. Mm-hmm. It looked like for a minute this wasn't going to happen. So every game, every snap, don't take it for granted. Live it up. Love it. It's been real, folks.